So I don't know about you, but out here in East Texas, when it gets really hot, uh, oftentimes what you'll notice is something in your house. Uh, sometimes you'll be going into a bedroom or a bathroom, and the door will be kind of begin to stick, and it won't quite close just right. Or you'll notice up in the ceiling for the first time ever that you've got this hairline crack. And as it gets hotter and hotter and it seems the soil expands, it seems so does that crack. One of the things that East Texas is known for, and many of you have lived in many houses out here, is for cracks in your walls and doors that don't shut. Uh, the soil out here and, of course, the, the different uh, climate that we have oftentimes contributes to a lot of challenges in our sheetrock and with our doors closing. But it really isn't the problem with, with just sheetrock and doors, is it? It really is the foundation. And in many houses out here, uh, you have poor foundations. And a lot of people have uh, had to spend lots of money and resources to fix foundations over the year. And the question is, is why? Is it because we poor, very poor foundations? And I would say in many cases, that is the case out here. Uh, in other cases, you know that we've learned over time that now we have to begin to kind of beef up a slab. We have to do big grade beams and we have to do a lot bigger cables or um, lots, uh, you know, in a sense, uh, more thick concrete, more PSI in our concrete. There's so many things that you have to prepare for. And the reason why is because your foundation really matters. Matter of fact, as we begin this new series called Hindsight is 2020, uh, what we want to start with is the foundation. And we're going to use this guy named Ager uh, in Proverbs 30 to kind of set the tone for this series. Matter of fact, as uh, we go through this series of the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be uh, just walking through Proverbs chapter 30. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn uh, with me. If you're new to church and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one on both campuses. Maybe you do have a Bible you didn't bring it with you, will we encourage you to begin bringing it with you as we walk through the series? Or maybe you're here and you have a Bible bill. I don't have a clue where Proverbs is, and that's okay too. And so if you want to find where Proverbs is, you're really good. You can take your Bible, you can open it up to about middle ways, and then if you are really, really good, you're going to come to the book of Psalms. And if you come to the book of Psalms, then what you're going to do is you're going to go right just a little bit until you get to Proverbs, and then you're going to go until you see big numbers in there. Proverbs 1, 2, you're going to get to Proverbs 10, hopefully Proverbs 20, all the way to Proverbs 30. And then when you get to Proverbs 30, we're going to cover the verse for six verses. And this is what it says. Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 1. It says, The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. So here's what we know. In Proverbs chapter 30, there's a guy named Agur. And uh, I don't know about you, but how many of you mamas in here would love to name your son Agur, right? Hey, I'll pay you $100. You're going to have a kid next year. I'll pay you $100 to give his middle name Agur, okay? Um, the reason why is because Agur seems to be a wise man. Uh, but what I want you to see as he begins to go through this passage is he, he's going to say some things that probably many of us should say ourselves. Uh, but what he says here is, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Now, you may have a different version of your Bible, and in the different versions of the Bible, this particular verse can be interpreted several different ways. Matter of fact, in the NIV, it just says this, This man's utterance to Ithiel, I am weary, God, uh, but I can prevail. Uh, 
the NASB, uh, which is the New American Standard Version, which is very similar to the ESV that we're reading today, uh, says this, The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal. And so he's, in some ways, it seems that he's maybe talking, and it's really difficult for the audience to presume on the original language. Is he, is he talking um, to two different people here? Uh, is he giving a, a message to someone else? What we know that we can agree on is that there is a guy named Agur, who is never mentioned again in our Bible, who seems to contribute to our Bible here in Proverbs chapter 30. We don't know much about him. We don't know where he's from, although we could speculate. What we do know is that God is entrusted to us uh, his word through this gentleman named Agur. And Agur seems to be writing, um, and he, he probably is giving some sort of a message to Ithiel and Ucal, although we don't know exactly uh, if, if that's true, because we don't see Ithiel and we don't see Ucal mentioned any more in Scripture as well. But what we do know is that he is writing a message, and he's trying to give some wisdom. And if you interpret it the way that it's in the ESV, what he is in a sense saying, hey, I am weary of God, I'm weary of God, and I'm worn out. If you move to verse 2, this is what he says. He goes, surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. So what he's saying here, whether he's talking to two other gentlemen or not, uh, what you see is Agur is saying, hey, I am a foolish man. In verse 1, verse 2, what he's saying is, is he goes, hey, I can easily be worn out. I can easily be wearied. Um, I am foolish. I am darkened to understanding. And so what he's basically saying in the first couple of verses is he says this, my name's Agur and I lack wisdom. I don't know what is going on around me. It's difficult for me to understand. And what he's, in a sense, doing is saying, I am merely a man. That's what he's saying. He goes, in my mind, in my finite uh, mind as a create, uh, creation, uh, I do not understand the sun setting. And we could say, man didn't do that. Uh, we can look at a deer panting for the water, and we can see the beauty of that deer, and we can realize God created that. Mankind didn't create that. We can, in a sense, see and look around the universe, and we can see the stars in the sky. We can see the expanse between land and water, and we can say, God did that. And I think that's what Agur is saying. He goes, I have no knowledge of the Holy One unless the Holy One makes himself known to me, which we know that God eventually made himself known through the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, put on flesh, and skin, and he dwelt among people. So you could touch him, you could see him, and that you could, um, in a sense, have him in the presence of yourself. Matter of fact, that's what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 1. If we were reading, he goes, I am testifying to what I have seen, and what I've heard, and what I've touched. And so Agur is saying, I can't know God unless God makes himself known to me. And friends, that is the truth of the scripture. And that's what Agur is declaring. He goes, I am Mere, I'm a man that's weary, that's worn out. I'm foolish. I'm darkened to the truth. I'm just a mere beast. I am a brute of a man. There is nothing wise about me unless the Holy One reveals himself to me. And then Agur asks a handful of great questions. In verse 4, he goes, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Is that man? He says, Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Can man control that? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? 
And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Agur says, how, how can a man understand God unless God reveals himself? He goes, we can't understand who it is that ascends and descends from heaven unless God makes himself known. We can't understand about how God controls the wind, the waves, and that all of that is in the power of his fist. He goes, that is God's providence. We can't even understand how the, the waters of all the earth are wrapped up in his garments. We are just seeing the, the vast measure of God and his holiness and his supremacy and his power there. And so Agur says, how do we know? Like, how do we even know his son's name? Like, surely you know. And he goes in a sense, how do we know unless God reveals it? It kind of reminds me of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, uh, Nicodemus and Jesus had a conversation at the end of this chapter in John chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. This is what John the apostle says about Jesus. He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Christ, the Lord. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He's talking about humanity. He who comes from heaven is above all. So he goes, God is rich. He is infinite. Mankind is finite. Christ has authority because he is of God. Verse 32 says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Jesus comes from the heavens. He is the one who descends upon the earth. He is the one who will eventually ascend back to the right hand of the Father. He's the one who comes and in his power and in his sovereignty and with the power of his tongue, he testifies to the creation. He is the incarnate word. He's the one who can speak of things that you and I never know because he is God in the flesh. Verse 33, it says, whoever receives his testimony, I mean, whoever trusts Christ, whoever trusts the word of God, sets his seal to this, that God is true. That's what Agur's saying. Agur is saying, God is true. How can you understand him unless he makes himself known to you? Verse 34 of John chapter 3 says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. What he's saying is, when you trust God in his infinite glory, he seals you, he protects you, he preserves you, and that only happens to those who believe in him. How do you believe in him? You recognize how foolish you are apart from God, and you turn to him. That's what it looks like. Verse 35, uh, John says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He goes... If you want to see God, he goes, you have to admit that you're a foolish, brute man lacking wisdom. And you cry out to God for help. That's what makes Agur so wise. Agur, a wise man, says, I am mere a man, stupid in all my ways, unless God steps in. He says, my foundation is weak. I am shaken unless God steps in. I am weary, I am tired, I am frustrated, unless God steps in. I am overcome by winds and waves and hard times, unless God steps in. That's what Agur's telling us. In verse 5 of Proverbs 30, um, this is what Agur continues to say. He goes, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so the reason I interpret the first four verses the way I do is because of verse 5. If Agur didn't know God and he was saying, hey, I'm just a stupid man and I have no idea who God is, because that's one of the questions he posed, then the question is, is why would he write this in verse 5? Because in verse 5, he is saying, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And he quotes Psalm 1830, which are the words of David. 
So the question is, is does Agur really know who God is? And he goes, absolutely. But he, said, he asked the question, how did I come to know God? And he goes, only because of God's goodness and grace. He revealed himself to a foolish man. And he goes, and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It reminds me of the words of Psalm chapter 12 that David says in verse 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. They are like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So he goes, when the Lord speaks, you and I as men and women should listen. Why? Because his word is truth. It is like silver being refined seven different times. There is no impurity in it. His words can be taken to the bank. As you look at verse 5, the latter part, it says that not only does every word of God prove true, but he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Reminds me of Psalm chapter uh, 119, 9 and 10. How can, a way, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. He says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's what Agur's saying. He goes, how do you become a, a wise man, no longer a fool? God's revealed your, himself to you. He goes, you keep the ways of the Lord. In Psalm 119, 114, about 100, chapters, uh, 100 verses later, he goes, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So what he's saying is, he goes, if you want to take refuge in God, know his word. That's what he's saying. And then he says this in verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Reminds me of uh, 1 John. He goes, how do you know that, that you're my disciple? He goes, you love one another. Um, and so how do you know uh, if you're living in the light? He goes, you live in the light. But if you live in the dark and you claim that you walk with God, he goes, you're a liar. That's what Agur's saying. So here's what Agur's saying. Lean in with me. He's going, look, as mankind, we are foolish and we are darkened to the things of God unless God reveals himself to us. And when he does reveal himself to us, he goes, you ought to lean in to the wisdom of the Holy One and you ought to walk in his ways. Got that? We could close. But I want to remind it of a story in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is closing out his famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Best sermon that ever has been given by the best preacher that there has ever been that's lived. And uh, he is sharing this sermon on the Mount. Rich, rich, rich wisdom. And then as he begins to close out chapter 7, he tells a story about two different men um, that have received the same instructions from Jesus. And he's telling this incredible parable to make sure that the audience understands the sermon and the, the, all the message. And so he gives this incredible, elaborate story in, in Matthew chapter 7 about these two men who have received two different types of or the same instructions, and then they went out and they applied what it was they learned, and they built two different types of houses. But they looked similar. And so they probably had similar floor plans. The, the deal is, is they just chose to do a handful of things different. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, this is what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. So here's what Jesus is saying at the end of his sermon. He goes, hey, you might be a fool, but if you want to be wise... Do what the Lord says. Y'all got that? How are we wise? We do what the Lord says. Friends, how are we wise? We do what the Lord says. That's wisdom. And so Jesus goes, hey, if you want to be wise, do what I say. Do what I say. And here's the deal. You might even ask yourself the question, well, hey, why do I lack wisdom? And I would say, because you don't do what he says. He's given you everything, Peter says, that pertains to life and godliness. Do what it says. And so he tells these two builders, if you want to be wise, do what I say. 
And he goes, there was a wise man, and he went and he built his house on the rock. Why? Because he did what Jesus said. And then verse 25, the implication was that the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you don't do what the Lord says, he goes, you are a fool. So if you want to be wise, you do what the Lord says. If you want to be a fool, you do it your own way. Friends, that's what Agur's saying in Proverbs 30. Don't want to be weary. Don't want to be tired. Don't want to be worn out. Do what the Lord says. Don't want to be frustrated. Don't want to look stupid. Don't want to be ignorant. Do what the Lord says. Want a shield? Want your life protected? You want a firm foundation? Do what the Lord says. Tired of tripping? Tired of stumbling? Tired of the addiction? Tired of the same old pain? Do what the Lord says. Tired of hard things in life that you continue to not learn on? Do what the Lord says. Because there's a wise man. He built his house on the rock. And there was a fool who did not hear the words of the Lord. And he built his house on the sand. Here's the implication, verse 27. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, real quickly, lean in so we can just understand a handful of things that pertains to all this text. You have two builders. They have the same instructions. Do what I say, and it will go well for you. They have similar-looking houses. They build these houses, and it's not until... You see something happen in their lives that it reveals the measure of their building. It's not until the storm comes that you realize that one had built this house on the sand and one had built this house on the rock. Up until that time, guess what? Everything looks about the same. Now, when you think about this, these words, he goes, when you build your house, what I want you to understand is that Jesus is not talking about a man's house. He's not, he's not talking about in this parable, this story, that your, your actual house in East Texas should be built on a firm foundation. I think that's wise, but that's not what he's talking about. What is he talking about? He goes, your life. Your life ought to be built on a firm foundation. I think you go another, uh, a little bit further than that. He could go, you could say, my family. Starting with your marriage, starting with your kids, our family could be built on a firm foundation. I think you go further than that. I think you could say, our church should be built on a firm foundation. Uh, I think you go further than that. You could say, our leadership should be built on a firm foundation. Hey, I think if you want to go even further, make another implication, you could say our nation should be built on a firm foundation. I think if you wanted to go further than that, you should say our leaders should be built on a firm foundation. So the reality is, if you want your nation, you want your house, you want your family, you want your friends, you want your life to all be built on a firm foundation, we do what the Lord says. The implication is, is if you have similar instructions to do what the Lord says, to build your house on a firm foundation, and you choose to build it on the sand, and you don't do what the Lord says, can you expect a nation to topple? Can you expect a family to have hard times? Can you expect your marriage to struggle? Can you expect kids to go rogue? Yes. And so the implication is, is that you and I need to understand that this man who built his house on the sand, if hindsight were 2020, would probably do things different. The storm came, the waters rose, and his house had a great fall. 
You think after when the insurance adjuster's out there on the beach right there looking at him and, and they're having some conversation and you got his neighbor's house right here is still standing because it was built on some rocky foundation. You think the insurance adjuster's looking and he's maybe scratching his head a little bit, rubbing his chin, and he goes, listen, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing about insurance that doesn't cover stupidity, right? Aren't we thankful? Insurance still covers our foolishness, Amen. You, you did what? You, you started your car and you were working on it in the garage and, and uh, you're surprised that it blew up out here, right? Sometimes it's foolishness, right? Can you imagine this insurance adjuster out here in Jesus' day and he's trying to talk to this guy about why he built his house on the sand? Now, okay, you know, this guy right over here, he said that y'all went to the same class and the guy told you exactly how to build the foundation. You even got the same plans. Your houses look exactly the same. The only difference was is that you built it on the sand. Well, yeah, I know. I took the cheap way out, right? Ever do that? So if hindsight were 2020, would this guy do something different? Yes or no? Yes. He would have done the hard work earlier. And so it just brings me to four quick things. What I want you to understand is this. Agar is saying it. Jesus is saying it. And you and I need to know that wisdom comes from God because God is wisdom. Wisdom comes from God because God is wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 8, you see this incredible passage in Proverbs chapter 8. I encourage you to go read it sometime. But it's spoken as if wisdom is talking. Wisdom is, is sharing with us what wisdom is. And what's interesting in Proverbs 8, 22 and 23, it just says this. The Lord, God, possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, before the foundation of the earth were laid, wisdom was there. Wisdom has always been. Wisdom isn't something new. Wisdom isn't something profound. Wisdom is something that's been there from the beginning of the ages. Why? Because wisdom is God. Go down in Proverbs 8, verse 32, and a little bit following. It says, and now, O sons, so he's giving you the course of how wisdom's been and how it's always been, but he goes, now, hey, sons, would you listen to old wisdom? Wisdom knows what he's talking about, sons. Would you lean your ear? He goes, blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching beside my doors. For whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself and who hate me love death. He goes, your choice. You can follow God closely and enjoy his wisdom, or you can lead your life to destruction, and you can be a fool. So how do we know if we even possess the wisdom of God? Like, How do we even know if we're wise? Well, James 1.22 just reminds us, uh, if you remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, he goes, hey, well, if you're wise, you're not merely hears the word, and you so deceive yourself, you do what it says. So he goes, it's not about listening to the instructions. It's about putting the instructions in place. Jesus said they're two builders. I told them that if they want to be wise, they'll do what I say, and they'll build their, ha their house on the rock. Friends, you have to apply what wisdom says. So God is wisdom, and he's telling us what to do. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 14, verse 21, a way that we can all understand. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. He goes, God is wisdom. He revealed himself to us as foolish men. 
gives us understanding. He goes, and he who loves me, you'll see it because he'll do what I say. Do you do what the Lord says? Because listen, wisdom tells me that we should build our house, our life, our country, our family, our marriage, our parenting on the firm foundation. Amen? How's that going? That's what we should do. And so if, if wisdom means listening to God, then it must mean denying wisdom makes you a fool. Right? I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Agur's saying. Matter of fact, think about if God is wisdom, to deny God means to deny wisdom. Or if you deny wisdom, you're denying God. That's what in essence is happening. If God is wisdom and wisdom is from God, then it means to deny wisdom means to deny the essence of God. Now think about that implication for just a second. Lean in with me real quick. If you would call yourself a believer in Christ, but when your marriage is struggling, when you're working through hard times, hurts, habits, hang-ups, when you're struggling with many things in life and you go to your friends rather than the wisdom of God, what Jesus is saying, I'm going to question your loyalty as my disciple. Matter of fact, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the very first chapter in Proverbs, this is what it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Listen to what it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he goes, the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. If you don't, if you don't take up God's wisdom, then he goes, you despise wisdom and instruction, which means you despise the Lord. Because as believers in Christ, we don't get it both ways. So really, in essence, denying wisdom means you're okay with building your house on a shaky foundation. To deny wisdom and God's truth over and over and over again, as people share it to you, means when you choose your own way to build your life, your leadership, your church family, your, your own family, our country on the sand, he goes, you are the one who's making a mistake. Now, what's in- interesting is, is you ever look at people's lives and you go, wow, they got it together. Man, I wish I could be like them. Man, I'm so envious of them. And maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe you're walking through recovery program and, and you see your, your directional team. Or, or maybe you look at your pastor. Or, or maybe you look at some of your close friends. And you go, they just got it together. And I wish I had what they had. How do you know what they have? I mean, think about the people that are, are driving down uh, Highway 47 north of town. They're heading to Tawakonee. Yeah, it's an incredible Escalade. Right behind the Escalade is this big old huge boat. And you go, man, I, I wish I had what they had. But what you failed to see is the payment that came with it that they're still paying on, right? The ways they're strapped, the lack of wisdom in their financing, right? And you go, man, I wish I had that. And I'm like, do you really? How do you know what you have? brings me to point number three. If God is wisdom, and to deny it's a fool, you need to realize something about this story. Determining who is wise and who is foolish is difficult until the storms come. Think about it for just a second. Determining who's wise and who isn't is very difficult until the storms come. You had two builders. You had the same instructions. You had similar looking floor plans and houses. Everything looked good until the rains fell and the winds blew and the waters rose. And at that point, one had a great fall. You know what I tell people a lot about the coronavirus? That it was good in many ways. 
And one of the reasons that it was so good in my life, and it is even I think about our church, is COVID highlighted a lot of things that I already knew weren't right. Don't be wrong, it hasn't been a fun process. I haven't enjoyed it. I probably would not want to do it over again. I still don't know that we're all the way through some of the implications and some of the things we're having to work through with the COVID virus and the challenges that it is to our society and our schools and our government and, and our churches and everything else. But here's what I do know. I do know that it highlighted a lot of weaknesses in our lives as individuals, as families, as churches, as our government. Our house has been shaken, hasn't it, in some ways. And then you got to ask the question is, okay, why did we think we had it so well before the storms hit? I mean, don't we know if we're building our house on something solid or on something shaky? I mean, don't we know if we've built our house on the rock or on the sand? And here's what I would tell you is that as you think about it, you do not realize the implications of your life and what you've built on until it gets tough. And what I want you to understand is this, is that if you're not careful, you won't do the hard work of building a firm and a solid foundation. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 10, 25, it just says this, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Okay, look at that one more time. It's up there on the screen for you. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous endures forever. What stands? The righteous, those who hear the words of the Lord and do what he says, they are the ones still standing. Hey, who are the ones who fall? The unrighteous, the foolish, the wicked, the evil, the one who thinks that I got life down. I'll do it my way. Let me ask you a question. How did that work out in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve? Given clear instructions, a firm foundation and a solid plan. Do what I say. What happens when we don't do what God says? Death, destruction, despair, and our house comes toppling down. Which brings me to the last point. Not only did we have COVID, but now our nation has also faced hurricanes, right? Um, difficult despair. Could you imagine being this guy in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus is talking about? The one who built his house on the sand, and when when the storms are blowing, can you imagine what he must have been doing in his house? Probably fearful, probably afraid. Probably as the waters began to rise and the winds began to blow, he probably became a little bit fretful. Can you imagine him going out in the middle of the storm and trying to repair the breaches? I mean, already seeing the currents rush in and the sand kind of taking away. Could you imagine him being out there trying to do everything he could in the middle of the storm? Let me ask you a question. How do you think that works? Here's what I want you to understand, friends. You'll never, ever fix a foundation if you wait to the middle of the storm. You should never try to do that. That's not the best approach. But you know what? That's always our approach, isn't it? Stuff hit the fan, and all of a sudden, we're going to do the hard work. Marriage is really tough, and so guess what? We're going to become more intentional. Hey, business is about to go under, and so now we do the hard work. Our finances are tough, and so we start selling stuff. Our parent, parenting is really hard, and, and we wonder how our kids are, where they are, and then we realize, but you know what? We hadn't been intentional. 
And so all of a sudden we go, well, you know, we're going to regroup and we're going to start gathering our kids every single night. We're going to have Bible studies and we're going to ramp up our game. Our leadership's not been good. And we wonder why people in the office don't come in on time and why they don't stay as long as they should. And so guess what? We're going to wait until everything kind of hit the fan and then we're going to regather. We always do it in the middle of the storm, don't we? And I'll tell you this. Listen, lean in with me. It never works to repair the breaches in the middle of the storm. So you might ask yourself, well, what do I do? Can I just tell you something? We should start now before the next storm hits. You repair once the storm is done, and then you go, I have missed it. And here's what Proverbs chapter 30 is. It's hindsight. And, and you know, hindsight is 2020, isn't it? But, but what if we just decided, you know what, that hindsight actually can lead to foresight. And foresight, when you get it, actually is what leads to wisdom or insight. See, insight is not looking at every mistake in your past and going, you know what, I'll just do it different. No, what, what insight is, is knowing that I have the foresight of God's word to fix my foundation before the storm comes. And friends, that is what we ought to be thinking about. And so hindsight is twenty twenty, and here's why we're doing this message series, Hindsight is twenty twenty, is because I realize all the things that we still have to work on as a church. Things have been highlighted for me as a father and a husband over the last six months. Things have been highlighted for me as a leader that I've had to work through. And guess what? Hindsight is 2020. But my commitment and the things that we're pressing into as leaders in our church is to make sure that with foresight and God's wisdom, we don't find ourselves on a shaky foundation. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10-15, through 15, and I'll close with these words. He says, according to the grace of God that's been given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Paul says, as, a, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he goes, I have set out, and he goes, in churches across the world, I have set out to, to build a, what, firm foundation. He goes, I have put in the time I have built something, and others are building upon it. And then he says this, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He goes, you want wisdom? You want a life that makes sense? You don't want to be a fool? You don't want to be a mere ignorant brood of a man, foolish in all his ways? He goes, lay your foundation on Jesus Christ. Following. Listen to his words. Isn't that what Jesus is meaning in Matthew 7? There's two builders. There's a wise one. There's a foolish one. Lay your foundation on Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on and continues, and he says this in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and you decide that you're going to build on that something with luxury, gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire of the test will be what sorts out each work that one has done. If the work that has been built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss through he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. Here's what Paul's saying. There's a house and there's a foundation. 
And Paul is saying that the foundation's built on Jesus Christ. And then he's going, and then there's a precious house. There's something precious that is made of, of something that's uh, refinable, uh, that's worthy, that's a precious commodity. And he goes, it's, it's not like wood and hay and straw, but it's like precious stones, like gold and silver and, and, and good stuff, the rich stuff. He's just re- repeating to you, in a sense, a parable. He goes, there's a life that's precious, that's built on Jesus. And there's a life that's going to be burned up in the end because you didn't lay the right foundation. And then what is he saying? And he goes, and you won't know until the day of the Lord comes, until it's all burned away, to see what's left. And he goes, and those who are standing at the end will receive a great reward. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Friends, he's simply saying this. Hey, if you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he goes, then do what his word says. And if you're going to do what his word says, he goes, you're going to become wise. And you may be here today and you go, well, I don't know exactly what his word says. I don't know exactly what looks wise. Well, listen, I would tell you that you should begin to lean in to God's word. There's great ways for you to abide with him and do it on a daily basis. Why? Because he is wisdom. And to neglect his word on a daily basis neglects God and his wisdom. So if you don't want to be a fool, God's words, then read his word. Discern it and do what it says. Over the next couple of months, we're going to dive in Proverbs chapter 30. And as we dive in, all we're doing is going to build on the foundation of the words of Agur. And what Agur's going to talk about is life. He's going to talk about contentment. He's going to talk about joy. He's going to talk about finances. Um, he's going to talk about what it looks like to live for the Lord and what that looks like. And it's going to be incredibly applicable. And here's what I tell you is I don't know when the, the next stock market crash is. Uh, I don't know when the next uh, incredible hardship in your family or your life or your marriage is. What I will tell you is this, is that it will be our fault if we don't build our house on a solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would teach us, mold us, shape us, conform us to the image of our holy God. Lord, I pray that we would realize the implication that to deny wisdom and to deny your word is to deny you because you are wisdom. We cannot take wisdom from old, from the beginning of the foundation of the earth, and separate it from our God, who has always been and always will be. In essence, wisdom is you, and to lack wisdom is to be foolish. And so, Lord, we don't want to be fools. And to be foolish is to do what's right in our own eyes and to deny the great and sovereign God that gives us a solid and a sure footing on the foundation of your word and his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us? In your name we pray, amen.